Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast on the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Danny Heifetz and I'm joined as always by my co-host and my co-Danny, the hero we need and the analyst we deserve, the Dark Knight himself, Danny Kelly. How are you doing, DK? Your introductions are the only thing that are getting me through the coronavirus. So thank you very much for that. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I mean, shout out your endocrine system. That's also getting you through the coronavirus. Also my family. But, you yeah. know, that those things too. I'll be in the triumvirate. That's fine with me. <laughs> my intro can be like the Holy Ghost of your your trinity. That's How is LA? How is LA doing? I am in New York. Fun oh, fact. you're in New York. Wow. Yeah, okay. that's, that's how much we've been in contact during the last week. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. I have fled to New York. Mm. To ride this thing out at home. Okay. Because why not? And you know who is in LA? Craig, how are you doing? This We're doing this from three we different places you, right now. Yeah, you didn't forget about me this time. Um, Heifetz, <laughs> you know, as the producer of this show, I was hoping, because we're all using microphones from home that are a little bit less capable as the ones that we have in studio. I was hoping that maybe, just maybe, you would tone down the intro yell, but you didn't. You actually went the other way with it. You just Why went, didn't you like tell you me went that? Nuts like with it. Well, you we would've... were just talking about how you know keeping the volume low and how when you're louder on the pod, <laughs> it kind of peaks a lot, and then you just went into a full scream. So we'll see. Maybe we'll redo it at the end. We'll see but how maybe it goes. not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess how how will the people listening know if we redid it or not? Is there like a way they can tell? Uh, no, I guess not. It depends. It all depends on a lot of different factors. Anyway, LA is uh, it's settled now. I feel like there was some panic and yeah. the, and like over the weekend but now everyone has seemed to um kind of like figure out what to do and the streets are definitely a lot more empty but it's not too bad a lot of people are out walking their dogs the grocery stores have calmed down you know yeah that's good that's good the traffic's gone so we fixed la traffic we fixed la traffic how's the pollution is it better i i think so i don't know (laughs) it's not really on my mind right now but i could check in on that true true okay (laughs) anyway uh Yeah. Still happening, kind of. There was, it was a, a lot weird of moves. Days. It was all right, weird few days for a lot of reasons. Uh, even within the football world, it was a strange few days, even if everything else was not weird. <laughs> Tom Brady, not on the Patriots. DeAndre weird. Hopkins, not on the Texans. A lot of really weird things are happening. So let's just run through mm-hmm. everything that's going on and just we'll talk about it through fantasy. Yeah, it's but, a lot of fantasy stuff that happened. Like there's a lot of guys who are on different teams that are going to actually drastically affect the way that you draft them, I think, this year. But the big zoom out, Craig, you were the one who pointed this out to me. Yeah. So I'm going to let you just hammer this home. Is this all good or bad? I think like 80% of these moves hurts everyone's fantasy value. And like, <laughs> yeah. I think everybody actually got worse from a fantasy perspective. I think DeAndre Hopkins got worse. I think David Johnson probably got worse. I think Stefan Diggs got worse. I think all the receivers on the Bucks probably got worse. I think Austin Hooper got worse. Um, interesting. Very interesting. What do you guys think about that? That was my impression too, is as each move kind of went down the pike and, and came up on Twitter or whatever, I was, I don't remember being excited about hardly any of them. <laughs> 
like the Teddy Bridgewater thing, like does that help any of the guys on the on the Panthers? Does none of them feel like super duper exciting? I guess maybe you could say Hayden Hurst is the most exciting one. Yes, which is a terrible. guy who went from like kind of a backup <laughs> to now a starter, I guess is good. But most of these steps are are sideways steps um, rather than forward. Yeah, like I would say, the majority are either neutral or negative. Yeah, and so we'll we'll get into the individual ones. You want to just start out with Hopkins because that was kind of the biggest blockbuster. I was going to say, let's start with Tom Brady and the Bucs. Let's just get okay. right into it. Okay. Sure. So Tom Brady goes to the Buccaneers, replaces Jameis Winston. Kind of perfect because they both ended their season by throwing a pick six. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, so Tom Brady, a little less pick prone than Jameis Winston. I think Jameis Winston, he set the record last year for seven pick sixes in a season. I believe Brady has six pick sixes. I can't. Wow, that's a tongue twister. Six, pick, six, six pick sixes. Brady has six pick sixes in his last 10 years. <laughs> But everyone forgot the original point I was making because I tripped over my words so much. But the point is, doesn't matter. So, Jameis Winston led the league in passing yards last year. Also led the league in pass attempts. But that's not as fun. But do you? What do you guys think of Brady on the Bucks from a fantasy perspective, DK? I'm just gonna steal Adam Leviton's tweet because I think he summed it up perfectly. He he said from established to run. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are great players, but from a statistical perspective, they've benefited greatly from the wild aggression, league-high ADOTs, YOLO-style shootouts of Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Brady is the opposite. So, essentially, I mean, you couldn't get more polar opposites in terms of style between Brady and Winston. I think the offenses are going to be very like different style because there's not going to be a million turnovers. The, games, the game flow, the game script is going to be very different. I do think Godwin seems to have a better, like his outlook to me seems a little more stable than Evans. Like Evans, his range of outcomes to me changes. It it could be like, he could be, you know, the next Randy Moss for all we know, but also I could see it like his, his value getting hurt quite a bit. And it's just because of Brady. He's 43. You know, the deep ball is not what it used to be. There's, there's tons and tons of questions on chemistry. There's, you know, it's a lock or it's not a lockout, but teams are not allowed to go in right now because of the coronavirus. So that might get pushed back into the season and maybe the chemistry won't be good to start the season. All those factors make me really worried really for both of them. I do, I do feel less worried about Godwin, but there's just a lot of uncertainty with these. And, and frankly, like you said, Danny, they're not going to have, they're not going to pass more than any team in the NFL probably this year. And the games are not going to be shootouts like they were last season. So it worries me. Craig, what do you think? You know, I don't want to sound like an O.J. Howard Pollyanna, but uh, (laughs) this is probably the best thing that could have happened for him, right? If anyone won this free agency, it might be O.J. Howard, a tight end, an athletic tight end, who has a quarterback that has an entire career of utilizing athletic tight ends. So where does he go this year? He might be in top 10 tight end getting drafted. So the other thing, the other factor that I was thinking through with this whole situation is in history, Brady's very much relied on sort of like the underneath really shifty slot receiver, the Wes Welkers, the Julian Edelmans. Is that what Chris Godwin is? Maybe because Godwin has been playing in the slot in Arian system. But um, some people were thinking like, you know, Justin Watson or uh, Scotty Miller might be kind of like really intriguing sleepers this season because Brady loves those those underneath the guys that can kind of like run the option routes underneath and get open. Um, So that's another interesting one. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is Brady's always relied heavily on running backs out of the backfield, like the James White, I guess, uh, archetype or whatever. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what they do at the running back position. Ronald Jones stands to potentially pick up a, a bigger role in the passing game in theory. 
But how's his pass catching? Because it was kind of disastrous when Ronald Jones was a rookie in 2018. Last year he got better, but he couldn't have gotten worse. So yeah, that's that's kind of my impression too. Is is coming out of college, he wasn't known to be a pass catcher. He did not do well as a rookie, and then last year he improved. So is a, is a, and again a huge range of outcomes. They could end up like grabbing a guy in the draft. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is kind of one guy that comes to mind because he's a really good pass catcher. So there's just a lot of uncertainty. But to me, there's some very intriguing factors with the with the Buccaneers. If you have Evans or Godwin. Or if you're thinking about drafting those guys, it makes you think a little bit. But there are potential sleepers in this offense too. Now I think are very interesting. So overall, it's a it's going to be one. It's like all of a sudden the Buccaneers are, are a whole new ball game in terms of fantasy. But specifically for Evans and Godwin, Evans and Godwin were both top five receivers in fantasy. And just whether you do a full PPR or zero or half or whatever, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were top five fantasy receivers. Do you think? I mean, do they have any chance of repeating that? And do you think either of them might be able to repeat with Tom Brady? I think Godwin has a better chance because he's in the slot. Brady's historically, he's, he's targeted those guys in the slot a lot. He made, I mean, Edelman was a very high scoring fantasy player last year too. So if Godwin ends up playing that role, then I think Godwin has a higher floor. And again, like I said, Evans to me is more risky, but he's Mike Evans. He's awesome. And and maybe him and him and Brady have, this incredible chemistry. Oh, and the other thing I was going to bring up is there's these reports that he wants to bring Antonio Brown in. So uh, Tom Brady does. And so, you know, that's this whole other variable. You know, he hasn't, uh, Brown hasn't been cleared by the NFL and all that, but this just could be such a fascinating fantasy situation going forward. Yeah. I think the thing that is fascinating to me about this is just what the Bucks are going to do with their offense. Cause Bruce Arians has been, known ever since he was the offensive coordinator. I mean, the last 12, 13 years, he has been about deep chucking in the ball downfield. They always lead the league, or Bruce Arians' offenses always lead the league in how far the ball travels in the air on average. So in terms of just raw pass attempts, Jameis and Brady actually weren't that far apart last year because Jameis led the league, where we tied with Jared Goff at 626, and then Tom Brady had 613. So you're like, oh my God, Like Tom Brady threw less than one pass per game fewer than Jameis Winston last year. Not that big of a difference, but it, how far the ball was traveling was a big difference. Jameis Winston was throwing the ball more than 10 yards downfield on average. So his <laughs> yeah. average pass crossed the first down boundary. That's j- how far Jameis Winston was slinging. I think he was second to Matt Stafford. Tom yes. Brady was like 25th. Tom Brady was closer to seven yards, seven yards a, a pass. So when you s- translate that to their 600 plus passes, Jameis Winston threw the ball roughly six and a half thousand yards through the air last year. Tom Brady threw the, the ball through the air like four and a half thousand yards. So you're asking Tom Brady to do what Jameis Winston let, did last year, basically up how far the ball traveled, 150%. That's not going to work. So they're right. going to have to do more quick passing. I mean, this isn't rocket science, but they're really going to have to philosophically scale down what Arians does, bring that more quick passing in. They need a, they need a running back. They need, honestly, they need Austin Eckler from the Chargers. I was laughing because when it was between the Bucks and the Chargers, it seemed on Tuesday, Austin Eckler is like the most Patriot-like player that's never been played for the Patriots. And the Bucs need a player like that. I mean, they need a lot of things. They need a right <laughs> tackle, for starters. Uh, but I'm really dubious about Evans and Godwin, who won. They got a lot of time in garbage time. A lot of those yards from Jameis Winston came when he had thrown pick sixes. They were behind. They're trying to right. catch up. I think that Tom Brady is a better football move for the Bucs. I think the Bucs will be a better football team with Tom Brady, they're more likely to win games. I think he's going to seal more stuff in the fourth quarter. But that means less garbage time passing. I, he's not going to lead the league in passing yards because I think the Bucs are going to 
have to really scale down what they're doing in the fourth quarter. They might have to be running the ball more. So I think that Evans and Godwin are going to have way less targets and way less downfield targets. So I, I, I would, yeah. it's weird because they probably were both locks to be taken in the top 10 among receivers and drafts with James coming back. Now they're probably a better football team, but they're probably, you know, uh, they're probably just top 15 options now because you don't know which is which. And that seems to be the theme of the whole free agency is just better football teams, but worse fantasy football production. Which brings us right into DeAndre Hopkins and the Cardinals. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of which, uh, DK, what do you think of DeAndre? First of all, what do you think of the Cardinals with, looking like with DeAndre? And then how does wait, that wait, wait? Can we first just like get out like our just like our what the fucks? <laughs> oh, the like, end. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet. I had flashbacks <laughs> to the Odell trade because I read it first in Peter King's column. This would first of all, I don't. This did not exist. There, there was no inkling of this. It did not exist. And then Peter King wrote on Monday morning. In his, I mean, it's Monday morning quarterback column, or used to be. Now it's football morning in America. But everyone just calls it Monday morning quarterback still. And he's like, by the way, like, don't freak out. Like, DeAndre Hopkins might get traded. I'm just saying. Like, he literally filed it under, I'm just saying, in his column. And then six hours later, it happened. This would be like if the ringer traded Danny Heifetz for my eight-year-old nephew, Nico. And Bill Simmons just tweeted that. And we're like, wait, what does Nico, Nico do? They're like, oh, nothing. He actually, uh, he didn't really do anything last year. He just sat in his couch and ate apple There's sauce. There's so many aspects of it that are hilarious never mind like stefan diggs going for uh, a first round pick even though he hasn't made a pro bowl i don't think and deandre hopkins has been first team all pro each of the last three years and then there's just but my favorite aspect of all is just people saying well how did this happen and then it's well the answer how it happens bill o'brien is the coach and the gm and they're not their number their next best front office personnel is jack easterby who was the team chaplain for the patriots who doesn't really have a traditional football background. He's not really been a coach, like a football coach. He's not really been a scout. He's just a chaplain. And like th- these are two of the three guys who are really doing their front office decision-making. And this is just what Bill O'Brien's been doing. And they traded for David Johnson. They already traded for Duke Johnson last summer. And they gave up a third-round <laughs> pick for Duke Johnson, which was, as Evan Silva had established the run, pointed out, the most any team's paid for any running back in years and then didn't even play him. They had their starter be Carlos Hyde, who they also traded for. Yeah, yeah. They traded him for the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs were probably going to cut Carlos Hyde. And they gave up Martinez Rankin, who ended up playing a lot of games for the Chiefs and probably would have started for the Texans at one point. So they gave up a starting guard for Carlos Hyde, who oh they could have signed for free. And then they gave up a third round pick for Duke Johnson, who they didn't really play. And then now they're trading DeAndre Hopkins for Duke for a, a second rounder and David Johnson, who is the fourth most expensive running back in football even though he got 19 carries in the final seven games last year. Or sorry, 18 <laughs> carries in his final seven when games. When he was healthy he had, as well. Yeah, so the, and that's, oh my God, there's so many aspects of this. So the, the, the part of the, I guess the funny thing is that before the DeAndre Hopkins part came out, trading for David Johnson alone is a terrible idea. Yes. Because we love David Johnson when he's healthy. The Cardinals said he was healthy. The Cardinals, I mean, I, we can just say they're lying because, I mean, the alternative is David Johnson just got his powers sapped like he was in Space Jam. Because he just got 18 carries for 47 yards in the final seven games. And now he was dealing with back and ankle problems in October. The Cardinals didn't list him on the injury report. I feel comfortable saying it's more likely that David Johnson was still dealing with the back and ankle injuries than he was perfectly healthy but benched for the final two months as Kenyon Drake became a top eight running back for the final seven games while David Johnson was barely a top 80 running back for the final seven games by fantasy points. So anyway, you're paying all this money now, the fourth most expensive running back, for a guy who got benched and has injuries, and you gave up DeAndre Hopkins, maybe you need a GM. Maybe GM's a full-time job. <sighs> it just makes me mad. 
I, I feel so I feel so mad for Texas fans, Texans fans. Just I would be I would be furious if I was a Texans fan, <laughs> dude. Yeah, because it's like when Odell got traded. I, I, you know, I, I'm shamelessly like I love the Giants, but at least the Giants got a first round pick for Odell Beckham. Yeah, I mean, okay. So the Athletics Shieldcopedia actually said this in an article when they were reacting to the Stefan Diggs trade, and he said, and this is absolutely true. The price for a number one receiver starts at a first round pick. And Hopkins is like a top three receiver. It just makes no sense. They've traded now that now they've traded Jadavian Clowney and DeAndre Hopkins, and they have no first round pick. And it's just absolutely absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like it makes me mad. I don't understand how Bill O'Brien not only does he have a job, he keeps getting more power. I don't know. It's like yeah. he's like Thanos Palpatine. acquiring the gems. <laughs> What is it? it was like I in Lord of the Rings, worm tongue. But there's so- <laughs> just speaking into the King of Rohan. But it, no, it's, there's so many people made the same joke at the same time where this would get vetoed in fantasy football. Yes. Yeah. Or at least if it, it was made, everyone would text the owner like, why didn't you text me? Why did you ask? I would have beaten this offer. And, and it, that's actually the real similarity to the Odell trade where the Giants did it. And you're like, did they call other people? Because clearly the Bills probably would have done the DeAndre Hopkins thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if they gave this much up for digs. So the funny thing to me is just there are basic aspects of the job that Bill O'Brien's not doing. This is kind of a non sequitur. But when they traded for Laramie Tunsil, they gave up two first round picks and a second round pick for Laramie Tunsil and a package around him. But then when you do that, when you give up your mortgage to the future of your franchise, you make sure that the player sends a contract extension. Right. Because Laramie Tunsil's a free agent at the end of this year. And if he leaves in free agency and you gave up two firsts and a second, you are your franchise is dead. So when the Bears traded like a similar package for Cleo Mack, he signed the extension within an hour because they had already negotiated it. Bill O'Brien traded all that for Laramie Tunsil, but then didn't get an extension. So Laramie Tunsil can ask for whatever he wants to be the Texans left tackle because if he leaves, fans will come and try to defenestrate Bill (laughs) O'Brien. So he lost so much leverage on the Laramie Tunsil stuff that they're like, we can't pay DeAndre Hopkins. So DeAndre Hopkins comes to them and wants a contract extension. They're like, oh, crap. We don't have the money for Laramie Tunsil, Deshaun Watson, and DeAndre Hopkins. And we have to pay Watson and Hopkins. Or sorry, we have to pay Watson and Tunsil. So they had to get rid of DeAndre Hopkins. How not? It's so. It's like you cut off your nose to spite your face, and then you cut off your ear to put where your nose was. Let, let's, let's talk about the fantasy implications. Yeah, sorry, it just makes me mad. Sorry. It's awful. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hi, Fitz. I'd like to play a quick game with you if we could. I, I just yes. thought of this. I want you to be, you're going to pretend that you're Bill O'Brien at a press conference and you have to defend this trade and make it sound as reasonable as possible. All right. Yeah. You're going to be reporting. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Hey, uh, thank, thank you, everyone. I'm open to questions. Yeah. Uh, Mr. O'Brien. Um, what the fuck? A lot of people out there are, are highly, highly curious about this decision-making process as the GM of the team. How do you explain yourself? Look, we do what we think is best for this football team. I mean, that's that's what we do. We do what we think is best, and we're we're looking to the season. We're really excited. We got a fantastic player in David Johnson. I mean, look, we want to be very clear. We appreciate DeAndre. We love DeAndre. Everything he's done for this franchise will be impossible to replace. But uh, we're really excited about what we got for this football team. We got a great draft pick. Our personnel, our scouts, are really excited about this year's draft, and uh, excited to pick up a couple picks. And we're really excited for what David's going to bring to this team. Follow up was this the was this the best package you could have received for DeAndre Hopkins? You know, I can't discuss about specific packages. Uh, <laughs> we're not able to discuss that, but we're very, very proud of the return that we got. 
He's pretty good at this. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, that all was right. like b- spot on. Now I have a question for play. you guys. Now DeAndre Hop. I mean, the Texans thing we could talk about forever, but mm-hmm. let's not. Uh, De- DeAndre Hopkins on the Cardinals. Do you agree or disagree? My initial reaction is this is great for real life football. I think it's bad for. I think he's a lesser fantasy asset than he was two days ago. What do you think, DK? Yeah. At best, maybe he it's like a neutral move just because maybe, you know, in that offense is ascending. And Kyler Murray obviously had a really good season. You know, maybe his efficiency would be a little bit better. But like Hopkins has been an absolute target hog over his career. You know, 150 targets last year. That was like you could bank on targets going to Hopkins with uh, Watson under center. So it's like that they had that great connection. Overall, you're going into a system now where Number one, you're going to have to find chemistry with the quarterback. Number two, you might not have the same target share as what you had before with Houston. You know, you're going to a team with Christian Kirk, with Larry Fitzgerald, who's probably going to get a ton of targets still, even though he's, you know, getting up there in age. Um, They like to run a lot of four wide stuff where they spread the ball around. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say he's still, I think he's still a valuable and good fantasy asset, but I would say his value is certainly. If not neutral, it's gone down a little bit. I think we're going to see him drop a little bit. On the other hand, on the other hand, this is great for Kyler, though, I think. Well, there's also a philosophical difference between kind of what the Texans and the Cardinals do, right? Because the Texans have not been afraid to look at DeAndre. I think he has the second most targets over the last four years. He's only behind Julio. He has almost Mm. 1,000. But in Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury's whole offense is in part designed around spacing. It's not so much the talent of the individual receiver, but just if you're mastering a certain subset of, of certain plays that someone's going to be able to open, obviously, yeah, do as someone's much always rate, open. Yeah. It's by definition of what Kingsbury is doing with the Cardinals. One receiver is probably not going to get 170 targets in a year. Are right. they, or are they going to change it? Well, the only way that I could see this working out is that if the Cardinals run like way more plays than Houston was running, and so I guess there's like that option and where he could end up seeing a, a, a crap ton of targets just because they're running so many plays, you know, where they're speeding up and trying to run like 80 plays a game or whatever. You know, no one runs 80 plays a game, but they're trying to do that. Um, that is one scenario, I guess. I could see where Hopkins could potentially gain value just because, you know, they're they're running so many plays and scoring so many points and all that. But, I mean, I don't know if they're there yet. I don't know if they're quite to that spot for 2020 especially so quick name game for you 2020 fantasy drafts obviously michael thomas first receiver off the board probably do you like deandre mike evans or chris godwin more now godwin yeah i think so i think i agree that order say what's the order again say the order again how would you order deandre hopkins mike evans i almost said chris evans shout out captain america (laughs) but i almost (laughs) mike evans chris godwin and deandre hopkins how would you order them they're all on the board. Who do you want to take? I would say Godwin, Hopkins, Evans. Yeah, I'm not overreacting too much to this. I think I am. I think that this has the potential to be catastrophic for DeAndre Hopkins from a fantasy standpoint. I And it's for every reason you guys just said. They're going to spread the ball around a time. Kyler Murray is not as good of a quarterback as Deshaun Watson yet. We know. Christian Kirk and Larry Fitz each had 100 targets last year. Everyone's going to get the ball. They're going to go four wide a lot. And they don't have the chemistry. And I, I can see it right now. Week six, the Roto World blurb is going to be like, DeAndre Hopkins still working on chemistry with Kyler Murray. After a slow start to the season, we're hoping that the second half, you know, DeAndre can come back to that wide receiver one status that we're used to. But don't hold yeah. your breath. Like, I can see that right now. 
Craig, to that point, I actually asked my buddy Scott Barrett about this. He had a stat. So this was from before. Zeke <laughs> <laughs> is flexing recently. Mike is all over now. us. Holy crap. My, my good friend Scott Barrett, who's a super cool guy, um, and you guys don't know him as well as I do. I'm like, we're, we're tight. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. Uh, wow. Flexing. <laughs> wow, geez. Just gonna um, anyways, he, he sent me this uh, study that he had done, and this was from 2018, March of 2018, so before the 2018 season. Um, so it could be a little bit out of date, but he said among top 48 receivers in ADP since 2010, so like a seven, eight-year sample size, only 33% beat ADP and only 31% improved in fantasy points. So about a third of receivers changing teams sorry that was among top 48 receivers that changed teams only a third of those receivers got better or improved their adp in fantasy points so it's the odds are against him frankly so what you're saying is is i should not be excited about randall cobb on the texans (laughs) (laughs) he's not a top 48 guy i don't think randy's in a tough spot Speaking of receivers who got traded, the other big one uh, that got dealt was Stefan Diggs was sent to the Bills late Monday night. He got sent for four picks, all of which were it seemed like a way better package than the Vikings. He's better get used to four picks with Josh Allen. Hey, oh, wow. Look at you. Thank that you. was good. Yep. Wow. That was really. Wow. Look at Craig. All right, DK, uh, what do you think <laughs> of Diggs on the Bills? So this is one of those scenarios where he kind of, I think, like wind enough that he he got his team to trade him but the landing spot is certainly probably not what he had in mind yeah is this um, like siberia like he got exiled yeah. it's like the dark knight rises it almost feels a little bit like the vikings did this despite him I, i'm sure that's probably not what it did, they did because they did get also i apologize call. to the bills fans who are so pissed that we just said that I'm well sorry here's the deal we love buffalo here's the deal he he was in an offense with a very very accurate deep ball passer you know he's an elite. He's an elite route runner right now. Stefan Diggs is, and frankly, Kirk Cousins is just a, ahead of where Josh Allen is as a passer. Like that's not. Well, it's not just that. It's it's are they not in terms of their play? Or is there any two player? I mean, outside of like literally like like is Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen not the two most opposite players in football in a way? Kirk Cousins, who's has a couple seasons up there, almost at NFL record levels for completion percentage. And then there's Josh Allen, who might right. miss Stefan Diggs by a screen by nine feet over his head. <laughs> I never was a huge Diggs guy in the first place just because I was always worried about the Vikings offense and how they split up the the volume and, and that it was a run heavy offense and all that. And I'm I'm still in that boat. I'm probably not going to be drafting Diggs a ton in, in fantasy drafts. I do think he is the perfect option for the for the Bills at this point and for Josh Allen's development, getting the uh, wide receiver one. You know, a very, very elite uh, route runner, guy that can get open, all that stuff, I think is going to be great for Josh Allen. And I think eventually, you know, that's probably going to be a very strong connection. But initially in 2020, I'm definitely leery about kind of how he's going to... He has, like, to me, a lot of boom-bust, game-to-game sort of profile where he could go off for a touchdown at 100 yards in one game and then have, like, two catches for 30 yards in the next game type of thing. So it, it makes me nervous. Diggs, I think is like actually one of the better. I think he's like talent wise, maybe a top 10 receiver in the NFL and giving him to Josh Allen is just, it's basically like if you gave a filet mignon to like a college kid and said, cook this, that's what, that's what <laughs> Josh Allen is going to be like. with Stephen that, Jackson. I, I think it's, that's do you guys know anyone? Do you guys know anyone who broke up with someone and then their next partner was the exact opposite of the other person? <laughs> 
Because I know yeah, a few people like it that. It happens I all feel the like, time, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think that's what this is. And I wonder if Diggs is either going to be like super happy, but then eventually might realize all the parts of Kirk Cousins that he never knew were really important. Like, you know, the screen <laughs> right. passes are catchable. And I, I think that that's, I, it would be very interesting to see the highs of like when he catches those, like an 80 yard touchdown the first time, yeah. but also the lows of like when he just has no catches because both ends of it will be more extreme. Yeah. He'll run a bubble <laughs> yeah. screen. It'll be like a 98 mile an hour fastball up and a, up and away. <laughs> he'll have to try and reel that in and he'll be like, you know what? I kind of miss Kirk. <laughs> For Also just the two of them, like the interacting as like personalities. Stefan Diggs is a charismatic dude. Josh Does Allen? Stephon Diggs hit Kirk Cousins with a U up text like week four? <laughs> that wasn't quite what I had in mind. It's <laughs> like, a, hey, man, just wanted to check in on you. See how things are going. Like <laughs> Buffalo has been like, it's been pretty tough for me. But, um, you know, just wanted to see like how you're doing. Who was the NFL player? Jordan Matthews has said there's nothing to in Buffalo except each other. And he, that's why he had like two kids while he was a bill. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's right. Let's move on. What, uh, no, I was going to ask you guys, actually, first, what does this mean for the Vikings? I think obviously Adam Thielen is the big winner here for uh, for Minnesota. But what what I guess are they going to draft a receiver? There's no really <laughs> way of knowing. Well, Minnesota, <laughs> what it means for Minnesota is that they have spent three years trying or four years trying desperately to find a number three receiver, and they have failed. They thought it was Laquan Treadwell, Chad Beat. Like they have not been able to find a number three. Now they yeah. need a number two, and they cannot screw it up. Is is Ola BC Johnson kind of a sleeper? I you tell me. You're 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 more informed on the Ola BC Johnson train than I am. Uh, I don't know a lot about him. I know he's very athletic. He flashed at times last season. If they don't add a receiver out of this, because Treadwell's a, a free agent, I remember there was some sort of hype on Chad Beebe last year before the season started. I don't but know. He if got maybe that, but the, the look they picked up four picks for Diggs, and this is the deepest receiver draft in somewhere between like 10 yeah. and 30 years. So if there's ever going to be a year that they can fill the, fill the void, I think that this is going to be it. But they have to because Thielen has Thielen now is number one, gives me a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster vibes. Not that because they're similar players, but because Juju going into the number one last year without Antonio Brown, I think it's a similar thing of, is Thielen going to be able to produce at the level he was without a master route runner like Diggs across from him? And then also whether not only can Thielen produce, but can he open things up for um, you know Kyle Rudolph or Smith? Uh, a lot of questions from that Vikings team now with that digs. But that's actually a good point though, is is I kind of like this for Irv Smith. He's kind of a sleeper at the tight end position just because, you know, there's so many, so many targets opening up. He sh- he flashed a lot as a rookie, I think. He was second rounder for them last year. He's a he's more of a pass catching tight end. So that's actually something that's a good thought. I kind of he's he's definitely more intriguing. You forgot for me about him? I think now. everyone forgot about Irv Smith. I mean, I, I like Irv Smith. Um, but yeah, I kind of No, he's just, talent. I mean I think the reason it's weird it's because they drafted him and then they gave Kyle Rudolph the extension and the expectation yeah, was that if yeah. they drafted a tight end, I think he was you know top. I don't remember if he's the first round or a very early second, but when you draft a tight end that high, they thought, oh, he's going to replace Kyle Rudolph, and then it kind of played second banana to him. But uh, he'll probably have a much larger, <laughs> much larger role going forward. Do you guys want to hit some tight ends now? Speaking of Irv Smith, we got four tight ends who moved this offseason. Yeah. We got Hayden Hurst to the Falcons, Austin Hooper to the Browns, Jimmy Graham to the Bears, and Greg Olson a little while ago to the Seahawks. Which is the best move out of those three? It's got to be. It's got to be Hayden Hurst, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Hurst is for sure in line to have a huge, huge boost in terms of like the guys that are most likely a huge boost. Hurst is the clear winner here. I think 
Yes, I um, agree. Unless you draft in like June, uh, Hayden Hurst is going to be the guy in August who's going so early because of the hype train on him that it actually won't yeah. be a value anymore. I mean, honestly, so like Hooper, we have a funny kind of inside joke about Hooper because he went to middle school with Craig. Is it middle school or what was it? Yeah, middle school. Pine Valley. What happened? School. He beat you up when you were in played he baseball? He struck you out. He struck you out. altercation. No, no, no. We played intramurals together. We played Little League Baseball against one <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, anyway, he is, I think, my my take on Hooper is that he is a reliable guy. He's He's athletic enough, good hands to be sort of an underneath intermediate option in the passing game. He's not a clear number one tight end. I would say that's probably in the exact same role or, or area that I put Hayden Hurst. I think he, I mean, he was a first round pick older prospect because he played baseball for a couple of years and flamed out in baseball. And then he went back to football. Um, but he's athletic. He can move. He's got reliable hands, I think. So to me, like, Hurst could kind of just inherit that Hooper role. He does have to kind of figure out the chemistry and all that stuff. But, you know, he could have a good amount of targets in that offense and and kind of come out of nowhere. And it's a perfect landing spot for him just because you kind of just slot him into that Hooper role. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a, a big one. What about Osh, the actual Austin Hooper who went to Cleveland? I was surprised they did this. I was I mean, they've already spent so yeah. much money and invested in that offense. They give Landry and Odell big deals. Uh, they've got you know Nick Chubb. They've got Kareem Hunt. They have a lot of talent on that offense, but I was surprised they added Hooper. What do you think of Hooper in Cleveland? Yeah, I think it's a huge downgrade for him. I just don't know if he's going to be able to see the type of targets that he saw in Atlanta. I don't know if the role is going to be different. I, you know, going with kind of what we saw in Minnesota with Kevin Stefanski, the tight ends were not like the a huge, huge focal point of the offense. I mean, they're part of it for sure. Um, but they do a lot of two tight end sets. And Joku is still a big part of this. You know, I don't know if that, that's going to mean um, if 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 Njoku stays, if he's still there, the former first rounder had been kind of not happy with the team in the past. You know, he's he's on a really easy cost controlled contract right now. So they could keep both those guys, Joku and um, and Hooper. So those guys could eat into their into each other's kind of. Uh, you know, target share and all that. Plus you got Landry, you got Beckham, you got um, Kareem Hunt, who was a huge part of the passing game for them too. The tight end position's at a weird spot, but I think in a nutshell, what we're looking for is, is you're looking for a guy who's going to be first or second in their team in targets. Obviously first is, a, you know, the elite category, Travis Kelsey, maybe George Kittle, but you want a guy who could be second on his team in targets. Who, like truly their team's number two receiver. Those are the people who pan out. Austin Hooper last year was second in the Falcons in targets. Mm-hmm. You know, you want a player who emerges like Mark Andrews, who's going to be almost leading the team in targets. I have no, I, I, something seems to have gone wrong if Austin Hooper's second on the Browns in targets last year ahead of either Odell or Jarvis. That just seems really unlikely to me. So I, I think Hurst on the Falcons is a much better shot of it than, but even them, I think he might be third to Hooper. But what do you think about Greg Olson on the Seahawks and Jimmy Graham on the Bears, <laughs> both of which I thought were surprised. I was surprised by both of these. Do you think either of those guys might be second in on those teams in targets? No, I think I think for the Seahawks it's going to be for sure Metcalf and Lockett, and then I think it's probably going to be a platoon type situation. The Seahawks have so many tight ends right now, so I do think Greg Olson is a good player. I think he's going to be, you know, not not like a dangerous weapon for them, but he'll be useful for them in that offense. I think Russell Wilson will look for him. He's he's a reliable pass catcher, all that stuff. But the Seahawks also have Will Disley, who's coming back from. Another injury, so his timeline for return is is uncertain. I think he tore his uh, his Achilles this time. He tore his patellar 
tendon two years ago and then his Achilles, which is like two of the worst injuries a football player can have. They also just tendered Jacob Hollister at a second round level, I think. So um, he's going to be back. They just signed Luke Wilson. So it's a really crowded group. I don't think any of these guys are going to be super high fantasy targets for me. Even if they produce, it will not be predictable when they produce, who plays, who catches the touchdown. Even if you could somehow predict the points or the yards touchdowns for the Seahawks tight end position this year, knowing which of these guys gets it and which play and which week is probably going to be a fool's errand. I think Olsen's a way bigger name than he is uh, a producer at this point. And I mean, I feel the same way about Jimmy Graham on the Bears. Do you disagree? Yeah. I mean, I think Graham is the same thing. I think he's a bigger name than a producer on the Bears this year. The Bears have a similarly weird situation at tight end. They gave Trey Burton a lot of money. That was a disaster. Uh, they have uh, Ben Brownacker. I can't pronounce his name. Uh, but, they drafted. They drafted Adam Shaheen in the second round, yeah. and he hasn't done anything. They that I, number one. The signing is mystifying because Graham just wasn't effective last year playing. You know, in that offense. I don't know how they got. What did he get? Like nine million guaranteed or something like that. So I don't know. What, I don't know what the Bears have in mind for him. I'm not optimistic about it. I don't think. Again, I don't think he's going to be like a big time reliable fantasy guy. Well, the well, the real question with that offense. So they just traded. Well, they just traded for Nick Foles. They sent a fourth yeah. rounder to the Jacksonville Jaguars for Foles. The Jaguars are eating like eighteen million dollars of dead money or something to be getting rid of Foles. They paid him $30 million for what amounted to 370 days as a Jacksonville Jaguar. I think it's like 80 grand a day for Foles to be there, which is pretty good work if you can get <laughs> nice. it. So now he's on the Bears. RIP to Mitchell Trubisky. We can save that for another time. What do you think of the Bears offense now with Foles? I like it a little bit more, for sure. I think, well, I shouldn't say for sure. <laughs> but that's that's a dicey that's a dicey comment. But I, I'm more bullish, I would say, um, on the Bears with Foles under center than I would be with Trubisky. I just, you know, call me a hater if you want. I'm just not a Trubisky believer. I just don't see it. I don't think I mean, you have to be a hater. I think you have to be an observer. <laughs> yeah, the Bears don't see it either. Um, I, I do think it makes a lot of sense for where he lands. Obviously, he has the experience with Matt Nagy. Um, you know, he's got experience in that type of scheme where it's a lot of RPOs. Um, you know, he, I think he's going to feel comfortable in that scheme. He can hit the ground running. I do think he's going to be better for that offense um, than Mitchell Trubisky, which, again, is a low bar. But, you know, I, I, I think I, overall I'm a little bit more excited for what Allen Robinson could do, Anthony Miller could do. Even the run game might be a little bit better just because their offense is overall a little bit more efficient. I'm not expecting anything huge from the Bears, but I don't know. I just I, I think it's it's certainly an upgrade for them. Look, I mean, bare, bare bones here. The Bears were 29th in points per game last year. It's 17 <laughs> and a half points per game. They're only had yeah. the Bengals, the Jets, and Washington. They there were 31st in yards per play. 4.7 yards per play for the Bears. Only ahead of the Jets. The Dolphins and the Bengals were, did better in yards per play than the Bears did last year. I mean, honestly, I can't remember most seasons are just straight up not like this. The Bears, I think we learned everything we needed to learn in week one, literally the first game of the season. Bears-Packers, the Bears defense dominates Green Bay. They harass Aaron Rodgers all night, hold the Packers to 10 points, and the Bears yeah. score three, and they lose. And I think that, like, Bears fans, you know, it just, every, it, it just confirmed it this year. This is too late. 
But when it comes to fantasy, it's like most of these moves, I think it's better for the team, but a little worse overall. I think this one, it's better for the team and it's better for fantasy. Certainly better for Allen Robinson. I I love Allen Robinson as a talent. He's so far to play with Blake Bortles, Trubisky, and now Nick Foles in his career. It's it's kind of wild. But he's like, but um, I think it's way better for everything. Everyone in that offense, this is like the rising tide will lift all boats, which I don't think is the case for the Brady thing in Bucks. But I think that's the case with the Bears. I I will say this about Foles, and I don't I'm not, I don't think he's great quarterback. I I do think he's shown certainly flashes of brilliance. I I what I like about him is he's going to pull the trigger more often. You know, he like Trubisky to me was always just a little too reticent to throw the ball down the field. Well, Trubisky doesn't know what he's seeing, right? Trubisky right. just doesn't like like I, I'm trying not to be mean, but I'm also trying to be fair. And like you, you can when you watch what's happening on the field. You can only really come to the conclusion that he doesn't recognize still certain, if not 101 concepts, certain like 201 level concepts that he should be seeing at the NFL level. Like Seth Galina on Twitter has a great thread where he just goes through like 20 different examples of like Trubisky just not seeing certain plays that should yeah, happen. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't see like there's there's my favorite example. Is there's one where he has two receivers open, his first and his second read. They're both open. He doesn't throw to either and he ends up taking a sack. Yeah, and it's just yeah. he doesn't see certain things. That's why I thought Brady might be a good thing because it's the opposite. But um, I think Foles, at the very least, Foles is very good at taking what the off- what the defense is giving him. Trubisky couldn't even do that. And if that's not the bar for being a quarterback, I don't know what is. Now, speaking of players who have played for the Bears and the Eagles, Jordan Howard to the Dolphins. How do we feel? I, I hated this move personally for everyone involved. I think this is the opposite. This is worse <laughs> for everyone. I think, oh, my God. I, I, Jordan Howard, this is bad for the Dolphins. He can't catch. The Dolphins are going to be behind a ton. And Biggest winner here is Miles Sanders, right? Oh my, yeah. Miles Sanders. So I'm just, I'm all in sorts about this. DK, yeah. I, how do you feel about Miles Sanders, DK? With the Eagles? Yeah, where does Jordan he go Hans in the going? draft now, DK? Where uh, do you think? That's a very good question. I think some people are going to see him as a, you know, potential to, if not this year, very soon join the top tier of running backs. He'll get drafted like as probably like a fringe RB one. I yeah. think in 2021, Miles Sanders will be a top ten pick. Yeah. And I don't um, know where he's going to sort out in the 2020 draft, but I will be high on Miles Sanders. Unfortunately, I feel like everyone else will. He'll be like what Craig mentioned earlier, like the Baker Mayfield, where everyone's in on Baker, and then eventually everyone's too in on Baker. I think that Miles Sanders is in that category for me because I'm so in on him and the Eagles in 2020. Miles Sanders had a very underrated, it, it almost got overlooked a lot how good he was as a rookie. Um, he came on a little bit slow, but by the end of the season, I mean, he was contributing in the passing game a lot. He was very good on the ground. He had a couple of big, huge games. Um, so the final, so from week 10 to week 16, I'm cutting out week 17 because no one plays fantasy in week 17. Sure. From week 10 to week 16, he was the number 11 running back. One spot yeah. behind Nick Chubb. Mm. Yeah. And his like yards from scrimmage was very, very good for a rookie quarterback. Like he was in, he was among a very like elite crew of guys who've, you know, the amount of yards from scrimmage. So that includes uh, rushing and, and receiving yards. He, he was like an uh, elite company in that so yeah, i think he I his, need to update that if you go half ppr from week eight to week 16 he was the number six running back he's only behind mccaffrey aaron jones derrick henry saquon zeke and then miles sanders for the second half of the season wow it's pretty wild yeah so my only worry obviously and this is what people worried about before the season last year is that the, the eagles will end up doing too much of a timeshare platoon you know, Boston Scott looked pretty interesting towards the end of the season, but I think he is a very, very talented, very, very athletic, versatile guy who can contribute in the passing game. Um, getting Jordan H- Howard out of there, out of the scenario, because Howard was actually way better than I thought, way better than I gave him credit for 
before the season in terms of his effectiveness for the Eagles. Like, I don't actually blame the Eagles for for giving him so many carries because he was effective. With him out of the picture, I think this is definitely Sanders is the lead dog now in terms of the amount of targets and catch it or t- targets and carries that he's going to get. He's probably going to be a big factor in the red zone. So, yeah, I'm bullish on Sanders going forward. As for the Dolphins, I think I think the Dolphins are going to draft a running back. So, I'm not really too worried yet what happens with Howard. Like we'll see once the draft comes around. I think he's probably going to end up playing like a complimentary role kind of like he he did last year too. It's uh, I'm I'm still annoyed by it because whoever they drafted still would have been a really cool like sleeper pick and now it's just annoying cuz we don't it's the, it's like the Eagles all over again except the Eagles offense is better yeah. than the, last year than the Dolphins will be next this year. So the two all right, two two last huge moves that we got we got to hit. Teddy Bridgewater going to the Panthers. Mhm. This is a very heartwarming story. Teddy Bridgewater is, you know, obviously had overcame a lot of injuries to now he's a starting quarterback. He's getting quarterback money. It's nice to see him back. But in terms of production and what to expect, I do think that there is a certain distance makes the heart grow fonder and kind of memory of like what he is. I think that he's a very competent quarterback. I think he's one of the best 30 quarterbacks in the NFL, but I also think he's between 25 and 30 or 24 and 30. Yeah. So. You know, the Panthers have a lot of unbelievable, talented wep- uh, like p- pieces on that team. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey did the 1,000-1,000 rushing receiving thing last season, which has like, you know, just happened a handful of times in NFL history. DJ Moore is one of the favorites to just explode in 2020 and join like that next level of receivers, like the elite level. Curtis Samuel is a huge athlete. But now we've got a quarterback who isn't really known for big numbers or running big offenses. and But they also hired Joe Brady who just led the Joe Burrow LSU offense that broke every record in college football history to do this Panthers offense. So Mm -hmm. what do you make of Teddy Bridgewater personally as a fantasy quarterback? And then also what he does to the rest of the Colts, uh, not the Colts, the Panthers offense. He's not someone you're going to get too excited about. I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to lead a high flying aerial attack, though I will say, there was a lot of people kind of thinking of uh, Joe Burrow in 2018 as, you know, not a very exciting prospect. He did end up playing better in the second half of 2018, but then he came on and it was gangbusters in this Joe, uh, uh, Joe Brady offense where uh, it was a spread out thing. It was a spread out system. Um, they did five and six man protections a lot. So it was just like getting the ball out quickly, knowing who you're going to based on the, like the blitzing and the coverage and all that. Um I guess I'm a little bit intrigued. And he scored the to see most he... points and touchdowns in the history of college football. So, yeah. how replicable is that to the NFL? Because I'm not, I'm still not sure. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's the absolute wild card in this whole thing is if if Joe Brady, number one, if he can turn Bridgewater into that kind of quarterback, he's going to be a, he's going to be a head coach so fast. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I, I I'm not super like I don't think that's going to happen. I'm open to the idea of that happening. I do think overall. Um, Bridgewater is going to be good for McCaffrey because he's still going to be checking it down a lot to his running backs. And I think that's going to be good for McCaffrey. He's still going to be a huge, huge part of the passing game. I do think DJ Moore has some upside with Bridgewater too, because of the same, same deal. He's, he's a yak guy, you know, he's like a catch it short and and run after the catch and, and make guys miss in the open field type player. Curtis Samuel to me is a little more worrisome because, you know, we've talked about him a bunch. He, he, he had more, failed air yards I think than any other player in the NFL last year in terms of like targets downfield that just were not on target um he showed that he's an elite sort of separator downfield and I don't know if that pairs well with Bridgewater he is a former sort of like 
running back slash receiver type guy. So maybe they can get him involved in gadget plays. But I don't know if that's something that you can really rely on in the fantasy realm quite as much. So I don't think I don't think it's like the Panthers all of a sudden become fantasy wasteland other than McCaffrey. I, I do think more and Thomas in, in particular. Well, can, I, I think can some of McCaffrey's good. McCaffrey's value gets redistributed. I think that's the real and not just because of Teddy, but because of the rest of the coaching staff, like just straight up like McCaffrey had 403 touches last year. No one else yeah. had three, more than yeah. 355. I mean, there were only eight other eight eight other running backs, eight other players broke three hundred touches, and McCaffrey had four hundred. And if you want to just distill why his he was fantasy god in twenty nineteen into a number, that's it. Yeah. And I just think those touches get redistributed, and there that's why I'm kind of open to him not being the number one pick in in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. That might get me cast off as a fantasy heretic, but it's also just the math. It's like I don't think he's getting four hundred touches again, and I think that Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to throw and get more trust than Kyle Allen did. I think there's a lot going on here, but I think Teddy's yeah. both going to be oddly disappointing, but also much an improvement for Carolina. And then last up, your guy, you and Robert Mays' guy, Philip Rivers, <laughs> the last two people who are in, in love with Philip Rivers, heading to <laughs> it's the really Colts. True. I think it's, it's a one-year deal for $25 million. I mean, we, can, we don't have to get into the contract stuff, but Rivers will be the quarterback for the Colts this season. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I'm the I'm I'm one of the holdouts that doesn't think he's completely completely washed up. Obviously, I I recognize that he. But did you not and Chris play well. Ballard. <clears throat> yeah, I, I recognize that he didn't play well last year and all that stuff. I get that. Don't worry. But I do think behind this offensive line, where he's going to have a little bit more time, I do think he's an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. It makes me more interested in getting these pass catchers in the in the Colts offense than I would have been last year. So, you know, it's not like a super. It's not like the most scintillating, exciting move in the world, but I I do think I'm more excited about the T.Y. Hilton's, the you know Paris Campbells of the world than I would have been with Brissett under center. So I'll, I'll say that I think that you know Hilton, assuming he can get back and healthy, Rivers in the, in his career has has managed to produce big fantasy numbers for all of it, for his receivers, like going back really really far. So. You know, he's got a little bit of that Jameis Winston style to him where you're going to be in shootouts because he's going to get give turnovers and he's going to pass a lot and he's got that YOLO attitude, the Bolo attitude. But are the attitude, Colts YOLO will, receivers? But... Like, I feel like 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 you got Mike Williams and Hunter Henry and uh, like like the Chargers have a lot of guys who go get 50-50 balls. I don't think 50-50 balls is particularly the skill you're supposed to be looking for. I think getting open is a, a better skill. But is, are the, like, is T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell speed guys the kind of, 50-50 ball guys that Philip Rivers been playing with? No, not really. And I, I do think Keenan Allen's not a 50-50 guy. I think he, Keenan Allen's a break you off with elite route running type guy. Yes. And to be honest with you, we don't know exactly what the Colts offense is going to look like quite yet. It would not surprise me if because they've got a lot of um, they've got a lot of cap space. They've got a lot of picks. Wouldn't be too surprising if they go out and you know, get one of these top tier quarterbacks or uh, uh, receivers in like the second or third round or whatever. And so then we're, then we're having a different discussion. There's some more interesting guys. And, and Danny, as we've talked about, like rookies can be more highly impactful in rookie year, I think now than, or at least we're open to the idea of them being more high impact early on. So I don't know. I don't think we're quite ready to, to make the judgment quite yet. I'm not a huge Philip Rivers fan, but if you were going to force me to make the case for him, I think the case is that he went from one of the worst offensive lines in the league to one of the best ones. Yeah. Like you've got the Chargers last year. Philip Rivers was playing for the Chargers. And Russell Okung, who's their left tackle, he had a pulmonary embolism in the offseason. So he was not playing for much most of the season. So they're 
primary tackles were Trent Scott at right tackle, and they had Sam Tevy, or sorry, Trent Scott at left tackle, and they had Sam Tevy at right tackle. Mm. Both uh, among pro football focus grades, every blocker, and among all the players who had 700 snaps as a minimum, Trent Scott and Sam Tevy were both in the bottom seven of the 55 tackles in the NFL. <laughs> they were like, like Trent Scott was dead last. I think Sam Tevy at pass blocking grades was like 52nd. That was what Philip Rivers was dealing with. And then Mike Pouncey, their center, had a neck injury, got put in injury reserve. And then their two guards are average to below average. Probably the, like, like as a overall grade, Pro Football Focus graded the Chargers as the 31st pass blocking unit in the NFL. The only team they were better than was the Dolphins, who traded their left tackle like three days before the season started. Mm. That, and now he's going to the Colts, who I believe were the only team that had all of their starters play all of the snaps through 16 games, or at least make all the starts. All the starters on the Colts offensive line played at least 1,000 snaps last year. They definitely, I believe, were the most, had the best continuity of any line. There was a little question about whether Anthony Costanzo would retire this offseason. He's coming back. So they're bringing back their line. They've got Quentin Nelson. They've got Ryan Kelly. It's like They have an amazing yep. line. And I think that Rivers, low-key, might not have had a line this good And I mean, depending how you judge, like five or ten years. So yeah. uh, that's, that's the argument to me that you want to extend his career. It's not about his arm. It's about his, how much time does he have in the pocket. Yeah. Because, you know, the 20 years of NFL experience is only useful if you have time to think. What you don't want with Rivers, and you could say this probably with Winston too, what you don't want is him feeling like he's got to like put the team on his back and make a play. And yeah. a yeah. lot of his a lot of his plays that were awful last year is him trying to like evade pressure and, and like throw up a ball into double coverage because he just like feels that he needs to make a play for the team. Maybe if he gets into a situation, um, you know, with the Colts where he doesn't have to feel quite that way because he's got better protection. They can let all their plays develop. They got, you know, they can allow uh, Frank's right, Frank Reich's scheme to do a little bit of the lifting. These are me. This is me definitely talking myself into Rivers again because I love Philip Rivers, you know, irrationally. I, I, am I am I off on this? I always thought that most of the people were completely indifferent to Philip Rivers, and I am. I don't know where you. I don't know where you. You and Mays are just in love with him, and I, <laughs> I like. It's not even like you're wrong. It's just like I'm confused. I didn't know people had such strong feelings that did not live in Southern California <laughs> about Philip Rivers. I just think he's a maniac. Please add us on Twitter or whatever your social media platform of choice if you have strong thoughts on Philip Rivers, but you're not a Chargers fan. He's he's hilarious to me. He's a maniac in terms of his personality on the field. He wears a bolo tie, which is just great. Obviously, the ten kids a thing bit. is a good is bit. a you know just a font of of meme material. So, well, did you see that people were? Who was the person who made the joke that like when the Trump was the saying that you shouldn't have less than you shouldn't have more than <laughs> gatherings of more than ten people, and someone's like Philip Rivers can't be in the living room with his family. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just never ending fun of of hilarious jokes for Rivers. West Coast people like Phil. Yeah, yeah, they just do because we're watching him at one o'clock p.m. You guys, it's four over there on the East Coast. You're all like giving up. You went to dinner before Sunday Night Football comes on. We're sticking around at one. We're watching Phil play the Raiders and lose 14-13. It's the best. <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting point. Maybe like because the Chargers are, have always played on the late slate. Yes. That it, it goes from eight games to three that people have watched a disproportionately large amount of Philip Rivers. Yeah, and they to give like up. Every other quarterback. Wow, that's interesting. And then you've, they've seen him blow many games and they feel bad for him. All they do is watch highlights of him lose. That's what the East Coast people do. They're like, screw that guy. But meanwhile, we're grinding tape on the West Coast. 
I'm glad we've established this is a, a podcast of coastal elites. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you, Craig. Thank you, DK. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe. Stay socially distanced. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>